welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So um, we're coming around the Word of God. It's the last in the series we've been speaking about heaven. And I trust you've enjoyed it because it's the ultimate thing we've got to look forward to. Uh, why don't you pray with me and, uh, and then we consider what God's Word says. Father, we thank you uh, for this gathering in, in a sense uh, around your Word. And I pray that everyone uh, who's listening would be able to hear something that you would have for them in their heart, in their mind, to apply to their life for your glory and for their blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, we, I, I began this series a few weeks ago talking about what, what do you look forward to? And, um, and of course, we've all got things we look forward to. At the moment, we're all looking forward to the end of lockdown in our area. Um, but all throughout your life, you know, you've got little kids uh, who look forward to Christmas or birthdays so they can have a party and have food and, and, uh, and celebrate. And then you've got teenagers who look forward to getting out of school or getting their license or getting their first car. And then they look forward to getting through uni or getting a good job. And then young adults move forward a little bit. You've got someone looking forward to finding the life partner, getting married, having that first baby, getting their first home. And then you've got someone looking forward to the breakthrough in their career, maybe starting their own business or getting that promotion. And you go a little further and you've got people saying, well, now we're looking forward to taking it easier, uh, having grandkids, keep going. And now you're getting really old. What do you got to look forward to? Been there, done that, as they say. And you're looking back on your life. Well, well what have you got look, to look forward to except heaven? And of course, we can all have that sense of looking forward to heaven all throughout our lives, which is awesome. It's wonderful. We've got this perfect place, this wonderful home waiting for us. But in the meantime, we've got a life to live. So what are we going to do with this life? Because hopefully it's still a little way off before you rock up at heaven. And so how does that affect how you live today? So what I want to talk about is living with a heavenly perspective. How do you live on earth with heaven in mind? And Hudson already touched on one of the scriptures that I'll get to um, and, and shared something that really sinks in well, which, you know, we didn't discuss that, but it just shows how God moves and sinks things with the Holy Spirit working uh, when we want to come around a particular theme. Um, and so... What does it look like when you're living with heaven in mind? Well, you, you can sort of figure that out by thinking, if I'm really expecting something, anticipating something, then what are the things that I do? How does it affect me? And there's three things that I guarantee you do do that will relate. When you're really excited about something coming up and what you do as a result. The first one is that you will always get a plan organised. You will... Take steps to ensure that what you're aiming for will actually come to fruition, that you'll turn that dream into reality. Because you don't just hope to have a birthday party, you actually organise one, don't you? You don't just wonder about getting a better job, you upskill, you study, you put yourself in the best position to get that career advancement or that promotion. So for example, 
when Ruth and I had our first home here on the coast, it was a uh, simple little three-bedroom place, and it was all right, but it was a little cosy, had four children, and they were growing up, and the house seemed to be getting smaller. In fact, I remember saying to one of the girls, uh, we need a bigger house, and they were only little, and they said, why? And I said, oh, this room's getting too small, and she looked at the walls. And I, I realised, oh, this is freaking her out. She, I said, no, 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 not literally. It's all right. We're just, anyway. And so, um, but of course, we would still be in that little house if we hadn't done more than just wonder and dream. We actually had to have a plan. In fact, we used to literally sit up in bed at night with plans. We had building plans from different builders to look at and we were dreaming but also planning about buying some land, building a house and of course we did, even though the builder went bust and it was a very good character building experience. But we did eventually, through not just having the dream but doing something about it, got into the house. The kids got their own bedroom and we're still in that home nearly 20 years later. It's been a blessing. And so how do you live if you want to get to heaven? Well, of course, you don't just hope and wonder about it. You, you need a plan. So... My question to you today is, what's your plan to get to heaven? Is it just to be a really good person and, uh, and hope that that is good enough? Is it just wing it, just live your life, enjoy it, and then when you get to the pearly gates, just put on your savvy negotiating skills with Peter, St. Peter as they call him, and see what you can wangle as a deal? Or is it maybe just to impress God with random acts of kindness and hope that you know, he'll be really, really uh, impressed by that. Well, sad to say, I'd have to say none of those plans are going to work. The Bible makes it quite clear. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough to get you to heaven. The good news, of course, is that the one plan you do need is quite simple and it's available for everyone. And of course, that plan is simply to commit our lives to Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of our lives, to rely on him to save our souls from our sin. And so we receive forgiveness, redemption from sin and a hope and a home in heaven all because of Jesus. And as we remembered over communion, that that bread and that juice represents his great sacrifice on the cross. And so that's the plan. And it's a good plan because it's God's plan. God knows how to make better plans than we do. And Jesus said himself... In John 14, 6, you may know this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Not politically correct necessarily, but clear. That's the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we come to him, we surrender our lives to him, we worship him, and we follow him all the way to heaven. And And as we go on our way to heaven, we keep our eyes on him. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that you should run your race with endurance. Well, that's very Olympian for you. Um, And so we've all got a race to run. Don't get me started with a sporting analogy. We'll never get out of here. But, uh, you know, we run our race, our race in life with endurance. And then the very next verse says, says how we do that. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And so if you want to get through, you want to get to heaven, you want to run your race well, you just got to keep your eyes on Jesus. It's, it's not that complicated. 
You know, some people's lives are a lot more stressful and complicated and difficult than they need to be because they get their eyes off Jesus. Kiss, as they say in, uh, you know, business world. Keep it simple, stupid. Just focus. Make the main thing the main thing. Jesus. Let's just keep him in our vision and our focus and keep running to him, talking to him, running with him and um, doing life with Jesus in our heart as our Lord and Saviour. Wow. That's the plan, yeah? It's pretty simple. The second thing you're going to do when you look forward to something, I guarantee it, is that you are going to think about it. And this is what Hudson was touching on earlier. You're going to anticipate it. And so when you've got a, a, a plan in place for, you know, a great holiday or a, or a wedding or a party of some kind, then you don't just forget about it until the day arrives. Oh, no, 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 you're, you, you're going to think about it. I mean, I've never met a bride who just wakes up one morning and looks in the calendar and says, oh, what do you know, I'm getting married today. I totally forgot. Oh, well, I've got the dress and I, I, I'm all good to go. I'll make a couple of calls. Yeah, wow, good thing I checked my diary. No, 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 no. Oh, no, they've been thinking about it, all right. They've had it filling their thoughts. They've been anticipating. They've been dreaming about it. They've really been looking forward to it. And so... Similarly, and more importantly, this is what the Bible says. Again, the same verse Hudson read. This is the NLT version. In Colossians 3 verse 1, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the, in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Or as you heard Hudson's translation, set your hearts, fix your mind on things above, not on things below. Actually, listen to this. This is the passion version. Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not the distractions of the natural realm. Wow, how easy it is to be distracted by things that are going on around us in the natural realm. And so the question, of course, we need to ask is, What's filling my mind? What's filling my heart? What's filling my thoughts? What do I find myself thinking about? Because just again, as Hudson said, our thoughts determine our future. It's like when they build a railway, they put the tracks down and the train has no choice but to go wherever those tracks go. So your thoughts are like train tracks. Your life will follow what you've been thinking about. It will determine the direction that your life will take. And there's all kinds of thoughts that come into our minds and they're not all good. We can have them come from all kinds of weird and wacky places and uh, you can get tempting thoughts that will lead you to sin. You can get thoughts of fear and worry about the pandemic that will lead you away from a place of peace in God. You can get thoughts of anger or upset about people, about someone who let you down, who didn't do what you expected, and that will lead you to a place of bitterness and disconnection from relationship. And of course, these thoughts will, will all, they'll take you away from your destiny, but we're responsible for our thoughts. So if you're smart and disciplined, you will you'll get a hold of that and you'll stop yourself thinking the wrong thoughts. What do they say? Stop stinking thinking. And, uh, and, you'll, and you'll focus. You, you won't just try not to think about something because you'll end up thinking about it more. But you'll think about something to replace it. And that's what the Bible says in Philippians 4 verse 8. Fix your thoughts, it says, on what is true and honourable and right 
and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So that's God's word to us. And of course, one of the most excellent things, the most excellent thing you can possibly think about is heaven. And when you do think about heaven, it's going to help you stay on track to get there. So even if you face difficulties and, and, and dramas and distractions along the way. Um, look, I know I've mentioned too many times that I like the show Grand Designs. I, in fact, I think Kevin MacLeod should pay me a spotter's fee. But, but bear with me because, you know, one of the aspects of the show I love is the fact that no matter how crazy or weird or challenging or expensive someone's project is when they're building these grand home designs, um, they, they get a vision and you see that getting them to the end, even though there's difficulties. And so inevitably there's, there's problems that show up, which adds to the drama because you always get to hear Kevin say, oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. You know? and, uh, and, and yet they've got this anticipation of finally moving into their dream home and that fuels them and fires them up to get to the end, to get through the difficulties. I remember one particularly, we watched some years ago, but I still remember it, and it was this really quaint English couple, and uh, he was not a builder by any means. I think he was an accountant and just a solid working guy, a guy but they had a fascination with castles. He had loved castles as a kid. When they got married, she got on board with the whole castle deal. Their wedding cake was a castle and they looked around for castles and all that. Of course, they weren't from the landed gentry who owned or could afford castles. You know, they were just humble wage worker earners. He might have had his own little accounting practice. I can't remember, but they, they didn't have a lot of money, but they found a castle ruin. When I say ruin, it was a ruin. It was what they could afford, which was hardly a castle, but it had been. And like I said, he wasn't a builder. And it was fascinating just to see this, dare I say, nerdy little guy, accountant, sorry, most of you I know, very cool, but anyway, he, he just was a, you know, nerdy little guy. But he just took it on board and just went, no, we're going to get our castle. And it was a massive deal. And sure enough, they finally got there and they got their castle. I think they had to rent out half of it as a B&B to afford, you know. But they got their castle. And it was just fascinating to see the passion, the vision that they had at the end to keep them going in the right direction, overcoming all the setbacks and difficulties, keeping the energy, the motivation to get them over the line. And so whenever someone has a long-term goal, they will work backwards to see what they need to do to get there. They will do whatever it takes, if that goal is important, to see it achieved, to see that vision realised. And of course, the ultimate goal you can possibly have, the greatest, grandest vision, the grandest design of any home you will ever have is in heaven. And if you're heading to heaven, then you should be able to stay motivated to face up to some of the stuff, the challenges that life throws at you along the way. Which leads me to the third thing that you're going to do when you have something to look forward to that hopefully you're doing as you look forward to heaven. And that is that you're going to change your perspective on current events. When you have this long-term vision, this long-term goal, you'll adjust your, your attitude and your approach to what's happening today. 
as opposed to just living for the here and now and not ever having long-term goals in mind, which some people get up to, live like that. So, for example, a young man who wants to win the heart of his loved one and, and marry her, he is going to up the ante as far as his workload goes. He's going to save. He's going to make sacrifices. He's going to do overtime. He's going to do whatever it takes. He's going to earn some more money to pay for the ring and the wedding and the honeymoon and to look after his new bride. And he's going to say no to the mate. Sorry, I'm not going and wasting my money doing that anymore. I'm going to tighten the budget and get And it's all worth it. And so it's going to make a difference to his lifestyle, his day-to-day activities. But he's going to get the girl and he's going to help, you know, give her a better ring than one you get out of the little, you know. Do they still have one of those things? Anyone know what I'm talking about? We just put 20 cents in a thing and you get a little plastic thing out of the... Anyway, if you're over 50, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But, um, you know, they've shown in studies of people in prison that if someone has the chance of rehabilitation and parole, that they will be much less likely to get involved in drugs, gang behaviour and violence. And they are much more likely to better themselves, educate themselves, because they're preparing for a future on the outside. As opposed to, I saw this terribly sad show about uh, people who had no chance, uh, and in the States there's quite a few of them, that are life without the possibility of parole. And it crushes them. They call themselves uh, the toe-tag parole people because it's the only way they're going to get out. with a to- and, uh, and yet if people have got the hope of getting out, they will better themselves. It will change their behaviour and their attitudes while they're in prison if they know there's a hope beyond prison. Well, of course, the problem we have today is that too many people are living this life as if this is all there is, as if somehow this life is going to go on forever without realising this life will end and you better make some preparations and realising, hang on, this life is finite. But my potential life in heaven is infinite. It will be my permanent, eternal destiny if I get my plan in place with Jesus. And, uh, and of course, if you have that in mind, it'll help you prioritise stuff that's going on in the here and now. So, for example, material things, they're great. It's fun to enjoy stuff, but as they say, you can't take it with you. So you, then you don't hang on you don't hold everything tightly, you don't get so, you know, pent up about getting that latest, greatest whatever because you realise, oh, look, it's no big, uh, you know, another so many years and, you know, it won't matter. So as Jesus said, you don't store up treasures on earth. Jesus said store up treasures in heaven because he said the stuff on earth will rot, it'll fade away. Don't prioritise that. So what do you do? You store up treasures in heaven and you do that by living for Jesus. Serving Jesus, following Jesus. That's cool. And, uh, and then you have this attitude with the big decisions. Is this going to bring glory to God? I say the big decisions because you don't have to stand in front of the barista in a cafe going, <laughs> will God be more glorified if I get the latte, caramel, skinny thing? Oh, you know. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not the, the end of the world if you, uh, you know, order coffee with uh, almond milk, you know. Not that I've ever tried that, but uh, I'm told it's trendy. Now, let me finish with a story. You still there? Hello? Good morning? Hi? Um, so, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, just talking about keeping things in perspective, 
you may know he's famous for writing Lord of the Rings, but he wrote many other books too. He wrote a, an obscure little one called Leaf by Niggle. And uh, it begins with these words. There was once a little man called Niggle who had a long journey to make. He did not want to go. Indeed, the whole idea was distasteful to him, but he could not get out of it. He knew he would have to start sometime, but he did not hurry with his preparations. Well, of course, the journey is an allegory uh, for death. And Niggle, like most of us, don't really want to think about it, don't make many preparations for it. And Niggle is a painter in this story, and he works on this grand painting of a tree. In fact, he envisages a whole landscape of beautiful mountains. But he's such a uh, fastidious perfectionist, the problem is that he's just working on one leaf. And Tolkien says in the story, uh, he's a painter who can paint leaves better than trees. He gets meticulously focused on one leaf and never gets beyond perfecting the painting of just the first leaf of the grand tree. And the other problem he's got is that he's very kind-hearted, so he gets distracted from painting by helping people um, around the, the neighbourhood. And in the end, uh, Nigel has to make the journey, which, as I said, is uh, you know an allegory, an analogy of, of death. So he heads off on the train. And his house is left. It becomes quite derelict. People come in many years later, find this painting of a leaf. They call it Leaf by Niggle, and they put it in the corner of the local museum where it's largely forgotten. And Niggle is actually upset because he's leaving, having only finished one leaf of his painting. But when he arrives in the, the mountains, which is the analogy for heaven, something catches his eye. And he turns to it, he runs over, and here's what Tolkien says. Before him, Niggle, stood the tree, his tree, finished, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and yet had so often failed to catch. So what Niggle had left behind to some seemed insignificant and, and it was unnoticed, but in the future, in heaven, his work was fully appreciated. It was fully realised. It was fully completed. And Tolkien said later about that story, he was really writing about himself. He was niggle because he was immersed in this whole Middle Earth world. You fans of Lord of the Rings will know that that was just part of his grand vision. You know, he wrote whole elven languages and, and was writing all about these whole Middle Earth nations and this whole world. And he was always living in fear that his life work wouldn't get finished because he saw so much more than he could achieve. Well, I think most people would agree he achieved enough because it was such an inspirational story, the ones or the stories that he did write and has blessed so many people. And I just guess that this is a little familiar to you that, like me, you've probably sometimes felt, am I just working on one leaf? <laughs> what about the whole tree? Am I really fulfilling the destiny that I feel in my heart, the big picture that life surely is bigger or better than what I'm currently experiencing. Well, listen, Tim Keller writes about Tolkien's story and he draws some wonderful truth out of it. He says it better than I can, so I'll read what Tim Keller said about Leaf by Niggle. He said, whatever your work, you need to know this. There really is a tree. Whatever you are seeking in your work, it is there. 
There is a God. There is a future. A future healed world that God will bring about. And your work is showing it in part to others. Your work will only be partially successful on your best days in bringing that world about. But inevitably, the whole tree that you seek, the beauty, harmony, justice, comfort, joy and community will come to fruition. If you know all this, you won't be despondent because you can only get a leaf or two out in this life. You will work with satisfaction and joy. You will not be puffed up by success or devastated by setbacks. I hope you catch what I'm trying to say there and this will help because God's word says it better than anyone in Colossians. My last scripture, listen to this, Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know, watch this, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward and it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. So know that all your work when done for God and for his glory, is valuable and part of your journey on the way to heaven. Work is good, as I used to say to my kids, as a little mantra to get them to do their chores. There's intrinsic value in work. And all we do on earth has significance in heaven. Nothing is lost or forgotten. And you won't always see the end result that you'd like to see of your work, especially in terms of Christian ministry. Serving God, loving people, it's it's incredibly hard to quantify it. You can't measure what's being accomplished in relationships and in serving God and sharing your faith. But in heaven, you will get to see what our efforts for God achieved and you'll realise it was all worth it. And you may only see a leaf or two, so to speak, in your painting of a tree down here, but in heaven you'll get to see the whole tree. Amen? So let's Let's keep our eyes on things above while we carry on with things below and live your life with a heavenly perspective, okay? And run your race with endurance. You'll get more than a gold medal when you cross over the finish line, yeah? All right, let's pray and then we'll have one more song when we finish. Come on, pray with me in in your homes. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the plan that we need to get to heaven. We thank you that we, we can discipline our thoughts so that we consider heaven we think about you and things above not just caught up with stuff going on below and I pray that you'd help us all to prioritize things correctly that we would have the best perspective on life because of the long-term vision we've got about going to heaven and that all the stuff that seems to be such a big deal sometimes would just take their place in the big scheme of things and that you'll keep us on track that we would say, it's okay, it's all okay. God's got it all under control. Everything's working together for good because I love God and I'm following his call. In Jesus' name, I pray, each one of us, and I pray wherever you are right now that you would commit your life to Christ. If you've never done it before, pray a prayer of commitment to, God, to Jesus. And then contact us and we can pray with you and send your Bible and talk to you more about following the Lord Jesus. And for the rest of us, share your faith with others, share this message with others, invite people to watch our church services online and do all you can to help others get to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen.
we hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.